All right, how many people are ready for a word tonight? Okay, watch this. Turn with me to Luke chapter 18. And if you shout me down, I'll get you out of here before 10, I promise. But if you don't shout me down, we might not get out of here till midnight. Okay, nobody shouted. All right. Luke chapter 18, verses 1 through 8. I want to I preach. Uh, we've been on this. Go back to the first slide. We've been on this series. And in this series, we, uh, the Lord spoke to me on a plane ride. You need to get last month's message. The Lord spoke to me that we are living in the age of the apostasy. We are living in the age where many have fallen away from the central truths. This is where in 2 Timothy chapter 3, he says in the last days they would have a form of godliness, but denying the power therein. And so we have large facilities. We have mega church pastors with no mega church anointing. And so we're living in the last days where people have gotten so caught up with great preaching. But Paul said, I came to you not with great preaching, but I came to you with a demonstration of power. I want to present to you that it is illegal for you to be a believer and not walk in power. I need you to talk to me. It is illegal in the kingdom for you to say that you're a believer and not walk in power. Are you with me tonight? Uh, And many of us have settled for normal church because we have been raised in a religious... I feel my apostolic teaching anointing tonight. So if I offend you, don't get mad. It's going to get worse. Uh, But we have been raised up in a religious system that makes us think that it's okay that we're satisfied with an hour and a half service where we come together and sing a couple of karaoke songs, get an inspirational talk, get out in an hour and 15 minutes so that we can have Starbucks and donuts. I've got nothing obviously wrong with Starbucks and donuts. But if that's what you're presenting to people, listen, can I tell you something Starbucks doesn't have? Can I tell you something that your local donut shop doesn't have? If you walk into your local donut shop, they, your local donut shop, they cannot heal you of HIV. If you walk into your local uh, Starbucks, as much as I love me some Starbucks, they cannot rid you of your depression. The church is not built to offer coffee and donuts. We're not even built simply to offer fellowship. For what is it for us to fellowship together if the centrality of our fellowship is not Christ and Christ alone? I need you to talk to me tonight. Come on, I'm, I'm walking heavy tonight. It's important that we realize that in this last days, because we've been raised up in a religious system that's made us okay and, and, and satisfied with just shouting and bucking and crying a few times during the service, that we actually think that we've had good church. I was in a conference, a huge conference in the Philippines, preaching to a few thousand people, and I walked out and the power of God hit it, and somebody came to me and they said, man, the power of God was so strong in that auditorium. My response to them was, so what? Because what does it matter if we experience and encounter the power of God down here, but they don't encounter it two blocks outside of our churches? If you do your history of revival, wherever revival hit, within two miles of radius of wherever the central place of revival hit in America, that demographic of people in the two-mile radius never changed. I'm going to make some of you mad tonight because you worship revival. But real revival does not just grow your church. Real revival doesn't just make you a better preacher. Real revival has your whole community changed. Real revival ought to shift things. The problem with us is that we've gotten so carnal, and this is what the apostasy is about, that we become carnally minded and not spiritually minded. And so we get obsessed with politics. Oh, I'm going to get in trouble here. Because I I got bad news for some of you because he's not a donkey and he's not an elephant. Okay, I feel that Republican-Democratic spirit in here. It's all right. I'm not scared. Um, 
uh, in actuality, he's the lion and the lamb. And, 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 and here's what you got to get, because some of you are going to be upset with me, because you actually think that it's politics that's going to save our nation. You think, some of you are mad because you think uh, 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 Trump is the antichrist. Some of you think he's the savior. Uh, and it don't really matter because it's not the problem of the White House as to why our nation is in the condition that it's in. It's God's house. Y'all missed that. The Bible doesn't say that judgment starts in the political field. The Bible says that judgment starts in the house of the Lord. So don't get upset when we have legislators legislating that homosexuality is okay in our educational system. We've been ordaining homosexual pastors in our denominations for decades. Y'all not going to talk to me? Okay, let me come down to your level. You get upset because we have all this liberal behavior in the nation, but the reason we have so much liberal behavior in the nation is because we've put up with so much liberality in the church. We let people get up knowing that they're in sin, knowing that they're indicted, but they play good. We know they're in bondage. We know they're a womanizer, but they can sing. We know they're a homosexual, but they know how to direct a choir. The devil is a liar. And if I got to say this every month, I don't care if I have to stand up here by myself with a tambourine and my empty foot. We're going to have praise and worship with a team that's holy, that's walking right with the Lord. We're not going to have no guest speaker who's hiring prostitutes in their hotel rooms in the middle of the night. We're Okay, let me stop before I go off because I feel petty. As Okay. And so in the hour that we're living in, and let me, before I forget, did you guys bring CDs tonight? You guys brought CDs. Can you guys hang out a little bit after service? Because I definitely want a CD. So make sure it's hanging in the back. Awesome. And people can invite you to their church too, right? Awesome. Or on a date, right? Okay. Uh, don't distract me. Um, are you catching what I'm saying tonight? Because we've been raised in a religious culture, the religious culture has made us think that our, our answers in politics. Let me bracket up for you. This was the same problem that the religious people of Jesus' day had, Pastor John. They were upset with Jesus because their picture of Jesus meant that he came to set them free from the political oppression of their day. When the Pharisees realized that Jesus wasn't there to simply set them free from... Now listen, what, what, listen to me, hear me out. What I am not saying is that God does not want to transform our nation. I'm not saying that he doesn't want to transform our politics. But he doesn't want to start with our politics. Let me try this side. Um, Jesus didn't come trying to dethrone Caesar. What he did was offer something that Caesar couldn't offer. So you're trying to figure out, is it the government's responsibility to feed the poor? Or is it not the government's responsibility? Wake up. It's the church's responsibility. Okay. Okay. You're trying to figure out, we, 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 we preach pro-life messages, Pastor John, but I am convinced that the evangelical church of America is not really pro-life because we are okay with these babies being born in poor families, growing up in poverty. With no, Y'all not going to talk back to me? I don't care what the devil says. Some of you political prophets online and you think that God wants to, let me tell you something. The reason that God has set this nation up in the way that he set it up is because he set up an opportunity for the church to be the church. Many of us, see, I, I'm convinced that the evangelical church is not pro-life. We're pro-birth. We're not pro-life. We're pro-birth. Because what do you do after they're born? And don't preach to me about pro-life and you refuse to adopt one. You do realize if one church adopted a baby, we would have no problems in that area. Y'all are so quiet tonight. I must be all up in your Kool-Aid. Let me stir it a little bit more. Some of you think 
that God wants to change the political field. And God does want to transform the political field. He doesn't want to start with the political field. The problem is in the house of God. And until we get it together, how do you expect the nation to get it together? We want them to understand their sexual identity, and we don't even know ours. Ours, ours, ours. There's an echo in here. Okay. I'm going to preach all by myself tonight. And so I came to this realization last week that the problem in this hour is that we have become apostate, that we have become satisfied. We look like the church. We sound like the church. We sing like the church. But we do not have the power of the real church. Do you know how many people, just this week, my heart was broken because I am finding people that I started off with in ministry have gone into full-blown lesbian relationships. People that I preached at conferences for. People that we prayed together. Because many of us, and this is where part two comes in tonight, because last, last month I talked about the apostasy. This month the Holy Spirit told me to talk about the fact, see, because the question I'm asking all summer is why haven't we seen revival? We're praying for it. We're fasting for it. We're believing for it. But why haven't we seen it? The reason why revival has tarried is because the church is not only apostate, but we've become prayerless. And I'm not just talking about our corporate prayer meetings. I'm talking about your personal time. Because some of us have corporate relationships with God, but God's never had any private time with us. Some of us, I know preachers who don't pick up their Bible until it's time to prepare a sermon. Listen, we've got to get to the place. It's, it's okay if you're offended down here. I'd rather you be offended down here than you get up there and be offended. So you go ahead and be offended, but you go get saved tonight. You're not, you're not going to be able to say that I didn't know. I'm going to help you out tonight. Because some of us have been floating by on corporate relationships with the Lord. But corporate relationships with God are not enough. You cannot ride the momentum of a corporate atmosphere and expect to be strong in your spirit. Okay, I got you. I know what you're saying. Because I I heard what Pastor Will said, talking about the power of worship. And he talked about Saul and he talked about David. The only problem that I've got with Saul in this story is that Saul is not, his love is misdirected. The Bible says that Saul was full of demons and he had all these issues. But when David would come and begin to play worship, all of a sudden those demons were soothed. This is a prophetic picture of our generation. Saul was not in love with the God of worship. He was in love with worship. This is why I can convince you to buy the latest Jesus culture, the latest Tasha Cobbs, no matter, depending on your ethnic background, but I can't get you to buy a sermon series. I can't, $10 for a sermon. And you're sitting up here and you'll spend $80,000 to listen to Beyonce do something that some girl in the back of a church in the middle of Mississippi could do without the dress and the lights. And you're sitting up here, can't understand why you're not free. Because you have become a part of the carnal spirit. And you don't really like worship. It just soothes your demons. And some of you think you're okay because you're singing over your addiction. You're singing over your bondage. You're singing over your hatred. And let me deal with that for a second. Because some of y'all think y'all cool because you don't hire prostitutes. But you got a nasty attitude. Uh No, you're not a homosexual, but you're a gossiper and a liar. You're a thief and haven't tithed for the last two years. And you think you're better. I got bad news for you. There's one hell. (laughs) I don't care what the Catholics told you. There's one hell. (laughs) 
And if you're a sinner and you die in your sin, guess where you're going? Uh, some of y'all don't know to say amen because you're not used to these kind of messages. Because what I'm supposed to do is quote unquote encourage you. What you don't realize is that this is the first time you've been encouraged in a long time. Because I'm encouraging you not to go to hell. No, no, because we're not going to play this game where we come every month and we sing some songs and all that kind of stuff and we walk away in our same bondage. I refuse to be like Saul. I'm not going to have a bunch of worship services and go back to the hell that I came from. I, I refuse. You keep your Jesus culture. You keep your Tasha Cobbs. I want freedom. I want to walk in freedom. I want to lift my hands and not feel guilty. I want to lift my hands and not feel condemned. I want to sing songs and know that I wasn't sleeping with anybody last night. I want to make sure I ain't got nobody else's marijuana on my breath. I want to be able to sing to God and not feel bad about myself. I want to feel innocent again. I want my virginity back. I don't want to feel like a whore anymore. I want to be able to worship in freedom. Come on, all my ex-heathens, just shout amen. If your neighbor didn't say amen, we'll get him saved tonight. So the Lord began to speak to me. Are you all right tonight? The Lord began to speak to me. I really feel apostolic in this message because I was telling Will, I've gotten to the place in my life where I could care less to get another speaking engagement. Because most of the people that ask me to come and speak, they don't pay enough anyway. Got me doing five services and give me $25 and a happy meal. I'm not at that place anymore where I need to speak. I've preached in front of two women before and I've preached in front of 150,000. I could care less about a crowd. I have gotten to the place in my life where I want to create cultures for revival. I want to raise up people who come to Collide and say, this is what I've been praying for. This is what I've been looking. They told me it wasn't in the Bay Area, but there are some nuts in Santa Clara every third Saturday that say, I want more from God. But in order to do that, you have got to step away from the carnality. Let's look at Luke chapter 18. Just look at your neighbor and make sure they're still awake tonight. Luke chapter 18, verses 1 through 8. They tell me when a preacher takes off his jacket, it means he's about to really preach. It just means I'm fat and hot. Well, there goes that. Luke chapter 18. Verses 1 through 8. Then he spoke a parable to them that men always ought to pray and not lose heart, saying, There was in a certain city. So let me stop there. This parable, you've got to preface it by understanding that God is getting ready to tell them a parable, not about just a banquet, but about prayer. He just told them men ought to pray. Now watch what he says in verse 2, saying, There was in a certain city a judge who did not fear God nor regard man. Now there was a widow in that city and she came to him saying, get justice for me, my adversary. And he would not for a while, but afterward he said within himself, though I do not fear God nor regard man, yet because this widow troubles me, I will, I will avenge her lest by her continual coming she wearies me. He's saying, I don't want her to annoy me anymore. So I'm going to give her what she wants. Look at verse six. Then the Lord said, hear what the unjust judge said. And shall God not avenge his own elect who cry out day and night to him, though he bears long with them? I tell you that he will avenge them speedily. Nevertheless, when the Son of Man comes, will he really find faith on the earth? In this parable, Jesus is telling a parable about a woman who's got the spirit of annoying. There's a difference between the anointing and the annoying. And this woman is not anointed, she's annoying. And, and sometimes before you get anointed, you've got to get annoying. And she keeps coming to the judge, and this judge is wicked. 
but she gets what she wants because she doesn't give up in praying. We have this old school term. Some of y'all don't know this because y'all were born in like 1990-something. But we had this term growing up where we say you don't just pray, but you pray through. That meant you prayed until God answered the prayer. This woman comes to a judge who is not even just and continues to annoy him, and she gets what she wants because she doesn't give up. Jesus flips the script and says, now this being a wicked judge would do that, how much more so a good judge if you keep coming to him with your requests? Are you hearing what I'm saying tonight? Some of us, the reason why we have not received the answers to our prayers is not because God does not want to give us the answer to our prayers, but it's because we keep giving up. Let me tell you what the Lord said to me. See, the Lord said in Isaiah chapter 56, verse 7, that my house shall be called a house of prayer for all nations. Yet the average church prays as a community for only two minutes a week. For most churches, prayer is the activity that we commit to the least. Typically, prayer meetings are relegated to old retired women who have nothing better to do but then pray. And if we host a conference with a well-known preacher and a band, we can pack out arenas around the nations. But if we call for people to repent and spend hours in prayer, we're called extreme and fanatics. No wonder the church has become so carnal. Our churches are not built with a foundation in prayer. They're built on good church growth strategies. They're built on the charismatic personalities of leaders and their leadership skills. Prayerless leaders, watch this, prayerless leaders have built prayerless churches that are full of prayerless people. So no wonder our powerless leaders have produced powerless churches that have produced powerless Christians with their powerless programs. The church was not called to be a house of worship. It was not called to be a house of conferences. It was not called to be a house of small groups. It was called to be a house of prayer. Watch what Leonard Ravenhill said in the book, Why Revival Tarries. Leonard Ravenhill says this about prayer. He says, the Cinderella of the church of today is the prayer meeting. The handmaid of the Lord is unloved and unwooed because she is not dripping with the pearls of intellectualism, nor glamorous with the skills of philosophy. Neither is she enchanting with the tiara of psychology. And because we are so humanistic and we want our minds to be tantalized, you got to get last month's message because I talk about how the word of God says that mind is enmity to the Lord. Uh, Some of us want to figure it out because our humanistic nature wants us to be God. But because prayer does not tap into the intellectualism of our minds, a lot of us don't pray. I want to give you three reasons if you're taking notes. I want to give you three reasons why we don't pray. Do you mind if I lay a foundation? I'll preach and then shout and we'll get out of here. I want to give you three reasons why we, the church, I believe, don't pray. Number one, we don't pray because we don't have time. All right, Luke chapter 14, verse 15 and 24. This is what the Bible says. Now, when one of those who sat at the table with him heard these things, he said to him, blessed is he who shall eat bread in the kingdom of God. Then he said to him, a certain man gave a great supper and invited many and sent his servants at the supper time to say to those who were invited, come for all things are now ready. 
So, so far, you've got the master selling his servant. I want you, I sent out these invitations. I want you to tell everybody the banquet is ready. Bring them into my house. Verse 18. But they all with one accord began to make excuses. And the reason why some of us can't make history is because we're busy making excuses. That's not in the Bible. I threw that in there real quick. Parentheses, a parenthetical pause. But they all began to make excuses. The first one said to him, I bought a piece of ground and I must go and see about it. And I ask you to have, have me excused. Verse 19. And another said, I have bought five yokes of oxen and I'm going to test them. I ask that you have me excused. Verse 20. Still another said, I just got married and I've got a wife and therefore I cannot come. So The reason they can't come to the banquet is because of money in their jobs and their family. Some of you think that your family and your jobs are valid excuses for not establishing the kingdom. Because we have taught you that it's okay to put your family above God. Let me try this way because I'm going to get in trouble right here. The order of the kingdom is not family and then God. Because the problem with some of us is that we married the wrong one. I'm going to get in trouble here. Now listen, when you marry the wrong one, they become the right one. <laughs> I know they're sitting next to you. Just now, nah, we're going to make this through it. <laughs> and and, and, and we, we have connected. Some of us are not even married, but we're connected and in relationships with people who aren't going as hard as we're going in the kingdom. What do you mean you're dating somebody who doesn't even go to church? What do you have in common with a heathen? I'm going to let that go because I got too many points to preach. But they have said to now the master of the, the banquet, they've said my excuse for not being able to come is because of family stuff that I'm involved with because that takes priority. But not only that, I've got to take care of my money, my car, all this stuff I just bought. I've got to make sure that it's nice. The church is struggling. They need finances to do missions. But I've got to make sure that I'm taken care of. Say amen or ouch, whichever one. Okay, verse 21. Wait, let's look at verse, yeah, verse 21. So that servant came and reported these things to his master. Then the master of the house being angry, can I, let me stop right there, because the master here represents Jesus, because some of us think that God's response to our compromise is actually to be happy. God's response to your compromise is not to make you feel better about your compromise. The master's response is that he got angry. Don't let bad theology lie to you. Yes, I believe God is full of joy. Yes, I believe God is in a good mood. But he gets angry in response to compromise. Okay. They didn't like that point. Let me try another one. He said to a servant, go out quickly into the streets and the lanes of the city And bring in here the poor and the maimed and the lame and the blind. And the servant said, Master, it is done as you commanded, and still there is room. Then the master said to him, I want you to go into the highways and the hedges and compel them to come in, that my house may be filled. For I say to you, none of those men who were invited shall come make supper. Everyone in the parable has time to come to the banquet. The reason that we say that we don't have time... It's not because we don't have time. It's because we don't make time. Are you hearing what I'm saying? It's not that we don't have time. 
It's that we don't make time and we make excuses. But I want to present to you that when we get into heaven and we stand in the courts of heaven, that Facebook and Twitter and your Instagram and Snapchat are going to come to the witness stand and they're going to testify that you had time to pray. Your little girlfriend, you're 16 years old, sitting up late at night with a little girlfriend that you're not even going to remember her name in 10 years, is going to be able to testify that you had time to pray. Okay, pastor, the little ministries that you're involved with because you want to make everybody happy and make everybody feel good, those ministries that are keeping you from prayer are going to stand in the courts of heaven and they're going to testify that you had time to pray. I do not believe that it's not that we don't have time. It's that we have not made time. Just point at your neighbor say he's talking to you. You will never have time to pray. Why? Because prayer is a priority that demands that you make time. Prayer will not fit in your schedule. You've got to fit into the schedule of prayer. Somebody say preach, black man. Okay. So the first reason why we don't pray is because we don't have time. Point number two. Second reason why we don't pray is because we don't have any sense of urgency. Luke chapter 14, verses 37 through 42. Then he came and found them sleeping. Let me not read this story because I want to save time. Jesus is, is praying and he's encouraging Peter and the disciples to pray. Jesus tells Peter... Lest you be tempted, I want you to pray. And Jesus comes back, and every time he comes back, guess what Peter's doing? Sleeping. And the question I have when I get to heaven, when I ask Peter, I want to know if Peter had really known what was about to happen in just a few verses, would he, would he have stood up and prayed? If he had known what was about to go down on the cross... But if he, would he have continued to pray? See, the reason why Peter could fall asleep was because there was no sense of urgency. And you may not be sleeping the natural, but many of us are sleeping the spiritual because we have lost the sense of urgency. We actually think that Jesus is not coming back. Okay, okay, I heard you. I heard you because I could read your thoughts. You said, oh, no, no, I believe Jesus is coming back. No, no, you don't. You believe he's coming back after you die. You know how I know? I was sitting with a pastor in Singapore and he was talking to me. He said, Dell, uh, what would you do differently if you knew Jesus was coming back in the next 60 days? I began to give him a list of all the things that I would do differently. He said, your list proves to me that you don't believe he's coming back soon. Because if you believe that he was coming back soon, your lifestyle would be adjusted to your theology. I know this is heavy for people who don't pray regularly, but I'm going to help some of the revivalists who have been saying we got to wake up. The church does not pray because we have no sense of urgency. Have you walked down the streets of San Francisco? If you need urgency, go through the tenderloin. If you need urgency, go to your local rescue mission and go meet the drug addict. Some of us sit back and we don't even know what to pray. Do you know how many people are in bondage and need your intercession? I'm going to get in trouble for this message. I already know it. I can feel it. It's all right. I pay my own rent. Jesus says to Peter, 
lest you fall into temptation, tarry with me for an hour. Since the time of Gethsemane, Pastor Will, Jesus has been begging the church to pray for at least an hour. If I stopped everything right now and asked people to pray, you would last for about two and a half minutes. And then I would have to call the band up, play loud music, somebody grab the mic and shout and scream again. And you wouldn't be, many of us in this room would not be able to tarry for an hour. And what makes it worse is that we as leaders don't put a demand on your prayer life in corporate atmospheres. Because what you see on the stage ought to be an exposure of what happens in your private time. But if you're not praying at home, of course you're not going to pray at church. Maybe they're getting this on Facebook Live. I hope somebody's being blessed by this. I am concerned that our hearts are not in the heart of God. Because anybody who has the heart of God knows more than ever in 2017, Pat, that there is an urgency for us to pray. If you don't think there's a reason to pray, turn on CNN or Fox, depending on if you're a Republican or a Democrat. Okay, let me go through this. Point number three as to why we don't pray. The last point. We don't pray because we don't enjoy God. I know this is going to be a hard one. We don't pray because we don't enjoy God. What's my next one, Janitha? We don't pray because we don't enjoy God. Oh, there it is. We don't pray because we don't enjoy God. See, Psalms 37, verse 4, Pastor Will, typically we only quote half the scripture. God's going to give you the desires of your heart. You just need to trust God. God's about to give you the desires of your heart. If you believe God for it, God's going to give you the desires of our heart. And we're quoting scripture out of context. And we're not even quoting the whole text. We've gotten so lazy that most of us only know the scriptures based off of what our pastors are preaching. Go read the whole verse. Here's what the whole verse says. This is going to be for, for, the, for sermon you. This is going to be the first time you actually hear the whole verse. The Bible does not say in Psalms 37 verse 4 that he'll give you the desires of your heart. The Bible says, watch this, Revelation. For those who delight themselves in the Lord, he will give you the desire. Help me out right here, God. Some of you don't pray because you don't like God. You sat on the phone with Sister Watermelon for three hours while y'all were dating. And half of the time didn't even say nothing. You just breathing on the phone. You drop her off. Ten seconds later, what you doing? Same thing I was doing ten seconds when you go dropping me off. And you couldn't help but to text. You couldn't help but to phone call. You had to try to control yourself so that you wouldn't look like a freak trying to call her every two seconds. Okay, some of y'all are trying to, okay, you're trying to fake it like you don't know what I'm talking about. You know you sat up there wanting to text her. I just texted her like an hour ago. She's going to think I'm obsessive compulsive. But nobody had to give you a seminar on how to talk to your girlfriend because you like your girlfriend. Nobody had to give you an impartation so that you would have an anointing for text messages. 
But you sit up here and tell me, I'm just not an intercessor. That's not my call. God hasn't given me a destiny to be an intercessor. I'm not a prayer warrior. That's for sister so-and-so over there. Uh, you know, I pray for an impartation. Can you pray for me? I want an impartation of prayer. No, no, no. You just got to learn how to like God. Some of you don't like God. You like his stuff, but Jesus is not your $2 prostitute. You can't give him a tithe and expect to sleep with him and have intimacy. And the problem is some of you come into services like this and you experience what you call the presence of God. No, you're feeling the residue off my relationship. The devil is a liar. You're not experiencing the presence of God. Watch this. I got you. Because you say, I know the presence of God. The presence of God all over me. I felt the presence of God. You sleeping around. You're a whore. You're addicted to marijuana. You're a hormone. You, you're an alcoholic. And you, some of you came in here high and drunk tonight. Uh, this is the presence of God. This is the presence of God. 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 Okay, I got you. I know you need help. I got you. I got, come on, boo-boo. I got you. Um, God made a commandment that me and Ashley cannot have intimacy with one another outside of covenant. If I can't have intimacy with another human without covenant... What makes you think that I can have intimacy with the divine one without covenant? I thought you was going to shout on that part. I know I'm going to say a four letter word right here. Holy. I know y'all don't like that, but David stood before Goliath and he didn't say, who is this uncircled? He, he didn't say, oh, I went to a conference last week. I went to Goliath. Pastor Dell laid hands on me. Ashley prophesied over me. I got a wonderful revelation. No, what he said, he said, who is this uncircumcised Philistine? What was David saying? The circumcision, which is the cutting away of the flesh, represented my covenant with God. My covenant was produced from holiness. I'm getting, I wish I was sitting in your seat. I would shout me down right now. David was saying to Philistine, he was saying, who's this uncircumcised Philistine? He was saying to him, the reason I have victory over you is not because I'm great, but it's because of who I'm in covenant with. All right, all right, all right. So you want to really experience the presence of God? Try walking right. Try leaving your computer outside your bedroom after 10 o'clock. Try not beating your wife. Oh, you don't think there's womanizers in the house tonight? Oh, I see you. <laughs> I go to churches all the time and have wives come up to me. And y'all lucky I can't fight because if I could figure out who you were, I would have a couple of my Samoans and big old Chris over there pin you against a wall. Because if there's one thing I can't stand is that you're not man enough to be able to beat a woman. You're beating a woman. I wish I would figure you who. I would find me a couple of deacons who aren't that close to the cross, pin you against the wall and help you meet my savior a little bit sooner. The devil is a liar. I don't know how I got all the way over there. Y'all distracted me. No, sometimes, listen, Pastor John, sometimes you got to keep some saints around you whose cross is Velcro. Y'all not talking to me. I want somebody who knows how to speak in tongues and cuss every now and then. Okay, 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 I'm being carnal. I'm sorry, let me come back. Okay, so here's the question. How do I learn how to desire God? Because if that's the key to breakthrough, I want to be able to desire God. But can I give you a secret? You will never get to desire without going through the valley called discipline. You got to learn how to read the word even if you don't get a revelation. 
You got to learn how to pray. Some of you only pray when you feel the shakes. You got to learn how to pray even when there's not a tear rolling down your eyes. You got to learn how to lift your hands and sing your song even when it's not the song that you like. Or the worship leader that you care for. You think I need a worship leader? You can sit a grandma up here who couldn't hold a note in a bucket and I would find the Holy Ghost. Why? Because my relationship isn't predicated on who's leading worship. It's predicated on the fact that I've got to walk with God. That he walks with me. And he talks with me. And he calls... I feel that Gaither vocal band anointing coming on me. We got to learn how to walk with God. Come up here, Pastor Will. Hop on the keyboard. Turn on the keyboard, Andrew. I want to prove a point. This is my friend, Pastor Will. He can't sing. There's a lot of things he can't do. And I praise God for it because he's so good looking. You know, everywhere we go, he's married, so don't even try it. Um, but, you know, everybody loves him. So, you know, I show up and they're like, hey, 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 Pastor Will, you know, whatever. But see, I can sing and I can play the keys. So watch this. Are the keyboards on, Andrew? Okay, I want you to play your best solo. Give it to me. Come on. Of course it's not on because nothing. There you go. Give it up. Give it up. All right, stand right there. My other keyboard player, come quickly, quickly, quickly. Where is he? Where is he? Okay, this is very anticlimactic if you go slow. Come on, come on. Any slower, you'll be going backwards. All right. Help him, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you. I'm so glad you can make it. All right. This is our keyboard player. Now, here's what I need you to do. Now, he sucks. We we don't need discernment. We just hear it. He's my my best friend, so it's all good. Um, I need you... And this is such a crazy service because what other service do you go to with a Chinese worship leader, a Samoan soloist, a black preacher, and a Korean sermon illustrator? This is, this is heaven. All right. I just had a revelation. All right, wait. Hook it up. Oh, that's uh, African-American colloquialism for you can play well now. Did you start playing yesterday? You know how I know that you didn't start playing yesterday? Because you play well. Were there some days that you practiced on the keyboard when you didn't want to practice? Okay. Here's the point right here so that you get it. Someone made it through the valley of discipline so that they could get to a level where their skill set blesses other people and they landed in a mountaintop called desire. So now it's not a problem for him to play. The reason you have not gotten to the place where you want to pray is because you haven't gotten to the place where you have to pray. All right, come on, talk to me, Hosea, because Hosea prophesied on behalf of the Lord, I'm going to take my hand off of Israel because I know when the blessing is removed, my people will come back to me and they will seek me in the midst of their trouble. God will send you into the valley of destruction sometimes because he wants you back. Okay, okay, wait, let me help because some of you are in the middle of hell. Let me tell you how to get out of it. Pray. Let me try this side. 
Some of you feel like all hell is broken loose and you don't know your left side from the right side. You got to learn how to pray. When you feel like it, pray. When you don't feel like it, pray. When you're the only one praying, pray. If you don't even run out of words and don't know what to say, pray anyway. Because if you get through discipline, I'll never forget. And I got to speed through this. Thank you, guys. I, I, I'll never forget that my, uh, well, somebody was teaching me how to pray. And they said to me, they said, I want you to go home and I want you to just, you know, just be bare before the Lord. And so I went home, took off all my clothes, laid on the floor, came back and said I was butt naked before God and nothing happened. And they explained to me that they were talking philosophically, uh, metaphorically. Uh, they say, you got to get a prayer closet and you got to pray. So I went, got my Bible and my flashlight, got in my little closet and prayed. Nothing happened. They said, I didn't mean a literal closet. And I was trying to understand. I was dead serious. So for two weeks, Pastor John, I stood on the edge of my bed um, and I began to pray. I could speak in tongues at a young age, so I began to pray. And for two weeks, I would pray for about an hour and a half. Anybody know what I'm talking about where you just sit there and you go, God, I just pray for every nation. Africa, I pray for Zimbabwe. I pray for America. I pray for all the states. I pray for China. I pray for uh, Korea, South and North, God. Especially North because they're crazy up there, so save them so they don't bomb everybody, Lord. Um, and since you're going to do that, do the whole Middle East, Lord, Afghanistan, Palestine. And you look at your watch, you're two and a half minutes, huh? Okay, I'm the only one. I'm the only one prayed for everything in the world. You called out your mama, your baby mama, they baby mama. Come on, anybody know what I'm talking about? And you look at your watch and you go, what? That couldn't have been five minutes. Anybody else feel like that? God is saying, if I can trust you with discipline, I'll graduate you and trust you with desire. The Bible says to whom little, much is given, much is required. So if I can trust you, can I trust you enough to have you pray and I don't touch you and you still come seeking after me? Are we still friends? If you ask me to pay the bills and it doesn't get paid, will you still come after me? And I sat on the edge of my bed for two weeks praying, asking God to show up. And two weeks later, the Holy Ghost fell on my life, gave me a call to ministry. And now there are days where I walk out of the house. And if I haven't prayed, I start scratching because something's off. My life is messed up. My life is not in adjustment. I start wanting to cuss people out. I'm in the Starbucks line. Don't even know why I got a bad attitude because I'm getting my Frappuccino with, uh, you know, vegan almond milk. And I can't figure out what's going on. And it's because my life is because I've gotten to the place where if I don't pray, I'm a addicted to pray. I'm addicted to pray. Okay, let me get through this. You all right tonight? Okay, let me speed through this. Now we've talked about the three reasons why we don't pray. I'm going to give you a few reasons why we need to pray. Number one, because God said so. Now I grew up in the kind of house where you didn't need an explanation. If I told you to do something, you did it. And all my black parents said, amen. All my Latino parents, you joined and said, amen too. (laughs) Um, and 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 i wish i would ask my grandmother why anybody ever tried that i tried that one time i don't really remember what happened after that there's a glitch in my memory The scripture is clear in Matthew chapter 6. Jesus doesn't tell the disciples. He's teaching them what we call the Lord's Prayer. He doesn't say if you pray. He says when you pray. It is expected of the believer that you're going to have a prayer life. Somebody say amen. Point number two. Not only do we pray because God said to pray. We pray because prayer is our line of communication with God. 
No matter the form of prayer you're doing, (coughs) prayer is simply the dialogue between man and God. Look at Jeremiah chapter 33, verse 3. He says, call to me and I will answer you and tell you great and unsearchable things you do not know. Let me help you with your prayer life. If your prayer life is just you talking to God and God's not talking back, that's a monologue, not a dialogue. Prayer is called to be a dialogue. You've got to spend some time. Some of you want God to speak to you and God's like, I'm trying, but would you shut up? Because if I hear one more Father God, Father God, in the name of Jesus, I pray, Father God, that you would do it. Father God. And I think God waits for us to get rid of all those prayers. So you can be, you want to pray for real now? Because some of us spend so much time wasting time with religious prayers that he's not answering. God's not answering. He's not required to respond to your falsities. God's required to, 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 to respond to who you really are. Some of my most honest prayers have been, help! Thank you. Thank you. Many of us, you, you're sitting up there trying to pray in King James English. Father God, thou great God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, thou who sits high and looks low, you know the heavens, you are thou who is, is you know. And God's like, are you done? Because I'd like to speak to you about your addiction. I'd like to speak to you about your education. I'd like to speak to you about your future. And we spend all this time, we spend 30 minutes. Okay, I got to go to work. I just don't know why God's not speaking to me. I do. Learn how to be quiet. Sometimes you got to learn. This is going to be a revelation for some of you Pentecostals. Believe it or not, it is called prayer if you just sit and listen. One of the things is I love Pat. Pat, wave your hand. (coughs) Pat is my friend. I love Pat. Me and Pat are completely opposite. I mean, not just physically. That's obvious. Um, But I'm a shouter. I'm a runner. I'm a leaper. I'm Church of God in Christ. Uh, shouting, tonguing, shouting, you know, I got it. Pat, like, I pray for somebody, and I would, you know, if you're praying for deliverance, you've got to look like you've got, like, something stinks. You know what I'm saying? Uh, in the name of Jesus. You know, and I'm loud. Shakatabakura, in the name of Jesus. And then I met Pat, and Pat walks up to people and said, More, Lord. Yes, Lord. That's the Lord. And I watch people get more deliverance from Pat using less words than watching some of these crackheads on our altar who are screaming and shouting. Demons aren't afraid of your value. I just made somebody mad because you sitting thinking about your church. All right. Point number three. Are y'all all right? We're going to make it through this. Point number three, the reason we need to pray is because prayer aligns your spirit and renews your mind. Watch this, Romans chapter 12, verse 2. Do not conform to the patterns of this world, but be ye transformed by the renewing of your mind. Then you will be able to test and prove what God's will is, this good, pleasing, and perfect will. And you need to go and get last month's message because I go deep into that. But without a renewing of the mind, our minds become shaped and patterned after the ways of the world. The question is not, will you be discipled? The question is, who will disciple you? Because either the Spirit of God will disciple you, or your late night, Thursday night, Shondaland television will disciple you. Either the Word will disciple you, 
or your Netflix account will disciple you. It's not, will you be discipled? It's who's discipling you. And you know who's discipling you by how you respond to spiritual problems. Because many of us are responding to spiritual problems with carnal methods. The Bible requires that you renew your mind. Somebody say, how do I renew your mind? Come on, ask me. Say, how do I renew my mind? I'm so glad you asked. The Bible says in Titus chapter 3 verse 5. He saved us not because of righteous things we had done, but because of his mercy. He saved us, watch this, through the washing of rebirth and renewal by the Holy Spirit. In Romans chapter 12 verse 2, when it says to have your mind renewed, the only other time that that word renew is ever used in the New Testament is right here in Titus chapter 3 verse 5. And he gives us the key to how to be renewed. What does he say? He goes, the renewal does not come by anything except but by the Holy Spirit. So what is he saying? There is a supernatural washing that occurs when you become familiar and in covenant with the person of the Holy Spirit. This is really good teaching, I promise you. I'm telling you, the Bible says when you, when you learn how to sup with the word of God, when you learn how to fellowship with the Holy Spirit, the Bible says in Psalms 119 um, that uh, the, uh, your word have I hidden in my heart that I might not sin against you. I don't know what it is, but I find it hard to look at porn and read the Bible. If you're able to do that, please meet me at the altar. Because we got some demons. It, it's hard uh, for me to fill up on my girlfriend and speak in tongues at the same time. What am I saying? The way for you to get out of sin, I, I'm going to help you. You can do your 12 steps if you want to, but I got one step if you'd like it. Spend time with God. Look at see how many shouts I got? If I stood up here and said, God's going to give you a new house and three steps to your breakthrough, you'd be throwing money at the altar. But I'm telling you how to live right, how to get to heaven, and all it takes is for you to spend some time with God, and you're not even putting it down in your notes because it's not even that deep for you. Oh, that's not heavy revelation. That's not deep. But some of you don't know that your freedom is in your ability to be consistent in your prayer life, that if you walk with God, he'll wash and he'll renew your mind. Somebody shout, that's a good word. Let me finish this. I got four minutes. So Titus proves to us the only way our mind is renewed is through the supernatural washing that comes from spending time with the Holy Spirit. Two more points. Point number four. Prayer wages war in battles that can only be fought in the spiritual realm. Somebody say ecclesia. Come on, everybody say ecclesia. In, in Matthew chapter... Uh, go back to that verse, Janitha. In Matthew chapter... In Matthew chapter, go back one more, Matthew, you're on it tonight. In Matthew chapter 16, verses 18 and 19, Peter gets a revelation of who Jesus is. And you know how he gets a revelation? Jesus said, Peter, I know you didn't know this. The only way you knew that is that the Father spoke to you. That there was a supernatural relationship between Peter and the Trinity that he got revelation of who God was. But in him getting revelation on who Jesus was, he gets a revelation of who he is. Some of you are struggling with your identity. The only reason you don't know who you are is because you don't know whose you are. 
And the only way you get to know whose you are is that you spend time with whose you are. Jesus responds to him and says, upon this rock, will I build my church? Somebody shout church. You thought church was this. The word church is ecclesia. Now the next slide. The word ecclesia is a gathering of citizens called out from their homes into some public places an assembly of the people convened at the public place of the council for the purpose of delivering, deliberating. Let me break this down. The term church was not a term that Jesus created. This church was already established. This was the small community of a legislative body within a community that would get together and they would make decisions and laws for that community. They would legislate for that region. That group of believers or group of people were called church. Ecclesia. The goal for them was not to sing songs, was not to hear sermons. It was for them to legislate. Okay, watch this. That lets me know that the church is not a gathering place for worship. It's a gathering place for legislation. This is... Matthew 16, verse 18 through 19. Watch this. I will give you the keys of the kingdom. This is what he tells them. I will give you the keys of the kingdom of heaven. Watch this. And whatever you bind on earth shall be bound in heaven. And whatever you loose on earth shall be loosed in heaven. Now, many of us have never known that that was associated to the fact that Jesus said, upon this rock will I build my church. Then he says, whatever you loose and bind, I'll take care of it. In response, what is he saying? He's saying, I've given you legislative ability, but it's in response to you get a revelation that you're the ecclesia. If you'll get a revelation that you're an ecclesia, you'll stop speaking BMWs and Mercedes into existence. And you'll start speaking salvation for your household into existence. You won't waste your time trying to fill your bank account when you can fill heaven. But you got to get a re- what? You got to get a revelation of what the real church is. Somebody say ecclesia. Come. Are you getting something out of this tonight? Because I promise you, I got happy last night reading this. Let me finish this. In the same point, Daniel wages a war in, in Daniel chapter ten, verse twelve through thirteen, and I don't have time to go into it. But but the angel comes and says, "Do not fear, Daniel." Because from the first day that you set your heart to understand and to humble yourself before God, your words were heard and I have come because of your prayers. The angel says to Daniel, you've been praying 21 days and it feels like you've gotten no answer. But I need you to hear that I heard you from the first day you prayed. And though it felt like nothing was going on, because you were praying, I had to get through the prince of Persia Let me stop here, because some of you actually think that your chair is more real than the spirit realm. The spirit realm is more real than what we see in the natural. This will pass away. The spirit realm will still be there, right? Back to what I was saying. The angel says, when you started praying, I would have been here faster, but I got held up by the prince of Persia, and I couldn't get to you because I was at war. But when you prayed, I got strengthened, called my boy Michael, the warring angel, and we went to fight. 
I don't know who this is for, but I feel like it's for at least 15 people. God told me to tell you that while you're praying, he's fighting. Okay, I thought that was the 15 over there. God told me to tell you, I know it doesn't feel like something's happening. I know it feels like everything's quiet and things are always going to be this way. But while you're praying, he's fighting. While you're clapping, he's fighting. While you're fasting, he's fighting. I know it feels like this cancer is going to be in your body. But while you're praying, he's eliminating cancer out of your body. Listen, do not take delay for denial. That's enough for me to wrap up and go home right there. Because some of us have been crying out and saying, God, I need you to pray. But God told me to encourage somebody. Go ahead and take a seat. Rock back and forth and keep on praying. If you got to call little baby girl's name out every night, you keep calling her name out. I grew up in the kind of home where when you came back home from at 3 in the morning, you could hear somebody praying and calling out your name. God, I pray that you would save Dell. Bring him back home. My grandmother would call folks and tell them to come lay hands on me. I remember remember one night I woke up in the middle of the night had oil all over my body you talking about what happened we didn't have extra virgin olive oil because we grew up in the hood my grandmother went to the closet and got some Crisco had the pastor pray over it lay hands and she said every demon in this house has got to go because people who are desperate say I'm a pray I need you to touch at least two or three folks around you say while you're praying he's fighting Uh, uh, you didn't say it because what you don't know is that the person you're sitting next to is working for a boss that they've been praying for because they feel like cussing that boss off. They feel like speaking in tongues in a language that they can interpret themselves. But I got good news. If you keep on praying, the race is not given to the swift nor to the swung, but it's given to him who endures. Keep on praying, mama. I know your marriage seems like it's on the edge and like it won't be saved, but keep on praying. What if Daniel had given up? Some of you were one day away from your breakthrough. Some of you were one more fast away from your miracle. Some of you were one collide service away from your breakthrough. And you gave up. Let me tell this story and then I'll tell my last point. We'll get out of here. I was reading where Elisha is... uh, I hear you, Ashley. I was reading where Elisha was talking to the king, and he tells the king, he says, God's going to give you victory over your enemies. He says, "Um, I want you to take the arrow and strike the ground. He doesn't tell the king how many times to strike the ground. He just says to him, Pat, strike the ground. Uh, Pat went to seminary. Am I telling the truth of the story? Okay, awesome. Um, The king takes the arrow, and he strikes the ground. Elisha gets upset because he only struck it three times. Now, my whole life, I was on Elisha's side. And then one day I was reading this, and I got a little mad at Elisha. Because Elisha, you're upset because he didn't strike it more. But you never told him how many times to strike it. Guess I'm the only one who's confused. How can you be mad at me for doing something that you didn't tell me to do? I obeyed you. I strike. Anybody else confused? So my question, Elisha, come and talk to me. I got a question. Why are you upset with me because I didn't strike it more? And here's the revelation God told me. The reason why Elisha was so upset with the king was the king was satisfied with enough and did not keep going until he heard stop.
I'm going to say that one more time because I didn't get the amens that I thought I would get. The reason Elisha gets upset is because the king is looking for a formula and God is looking for desperation. Desperate people don't strike the ground three times. Desperate. Some of y'all, y'all grew up in the suburbs and you don't know how to fight. No, not for real fight because you fight with rules. I grew up, do I have any sisters? You, you know what Vaseline is for? Okay, three. Thank you. Um, some, help my, your local, help your nearest white person out right here. I grew up in the hood. I remember one time my sister got out there, took out her earrings, pulled her weave out because it was one of those snap-on ones, put Vaseline all over her face. And I'm looking like, what is she putting Vaseline? Does she want to moisturize her face? What I didn't know is that my sister was putting Vaseline on her face so that when somebody punched her or slapped her, it would slide off of her face. See, I'm looking at all the fighters right over in this section because they're all looking at me like, yep, I, I've been there right there. Snap the weave off and all that kind of stuff. Some of y'all can't do that no more because it's sewed in, but it's all right. God will help you because they didn't want nobody pulling their hair. See, because my sister realized that if I'm going to fight, I have to fight with no holds bar. Some of you are trying to fight the devil with rules. And you can't figure out why you can't get your breakthrough because like the sons of Sceva, you took your notes and followed the steps. The sons of Sceva get into the house full of demons and say, in the, what's the note to say? Because I went to the Collide Conference and Paul was preaching. Jesus was there. Okay. In the name of Jesus whom Paul preaches, I command you to come out. The Bible says the demons whooped them so bad that he stripped them of their clothes. And they started running out. The, the sons of Sceva. Clothes in the scripture always represent identity. And when you don't fight with passion, the enemy has the right to strip you of your identity. Because if you don't know who you are, why should he appreciate who you are? What do you mean give up? What do you mean stop praying? I don't care how long you've been praying. Keep praying. No, you don't understand. I've been praying for 10 years for God to heal my marriage. What if it's on year number 11 that God comes? See, God won't tell you how many times to strike the ground because he wants you to strike it with desperation. Somebody say desperation. Somebody say last point. Somebody say amen. Are you catching this tonight? See, I'm not preaching to get you pumped up. I'm preaching to shift the dynamics of your walk with God. Because if we're going to learn how to walk in revival, we're going to have to learn how to pray. There are going to be some third Saturdays you come and there is no preaching. We're going to flip this thing upside down and we're going to have a prayer meeting. Thank you for all three who were excited. Point number five. Prayer, prayer gives us power. This is the part I'm going to hit home on. Jesus, in Matthew chapter 17, can y'all hang with me for just a few more minutes? Matthew, Matthew 17, Jesus approaches his disciples, and they're with this father, and this father is frustrated. Pastor John, he's frustrated. because He comes to Jesus and said, I'm upset because my son has epilepsy, and he has seizures all the time, and I know your disciples hang around you. Even this man who's not yet a follower of Jesus realizes that if you follow Jesus, you ought to have power. 
And he says, I'm frustrated because these Negroes have been praying for my son. And ain't nothing happened. Anybody ever gone to the altar and fell out because you felt bad for the person praying for you? All right, it's just me. Bunch of lying hypocrites. Anybody ever go to prayer, say, oh, that blessed me, and you know you didn't get blessed? Come on, please be honest with me tonight. Any, anybody, I mean, you just say, oh, bless their heart, because that's what Christians say when they we, we want to say, you suck, you know. God bless your heart. That's what we say to ugly people and people who get on our nerves. God bless, bless his heart. Right? And so the, the, the man says to Jesus, they follow you, Julius, but they've got no power. And if they follow you, they ought to have power. Jesus looks at them, and you go read the text. This is not my word. He calls his disciples perverts. He says, you wicked and perverse generation. Whoa, that escalated. That was real fast, real quick, real high. Uh, where, where do I come off being called a pervert and, and, and wicked generation? Because I think Jesus was trying to tell them that the reason why they're walking with Jesus is not being used in the authenticity of their relationship and how it's supposed to be used. They're perverting it. So they like being around Jesus because now people are asking us to pray. But we got no power. So you wicked pervert. Sit right there. I got this. This is the part that freaks me out, Megan. Because Jesus, the Bible says within an hour, prays for the kid, casts out the demon, and the kid is healed. <laughs> and the disciples say, pick me. <laughs> How come I couldn't do it? And Jesus looks at him and says, some of the things like demons like this, they only come out by praying and fasting. Wait, question. Pick me. Because in one verse, you pray for the kid. In the next verse, you heal the kid. Question, question. Because I ask questions. I, I'm, I'm not that smart. I didn't go to Bible college or I didn't finish Bible college. Here's my question. Within one verse, when did you have time to fast? Okay, somebody, somebody's missing it. Because go look back at the verse. He done fast in between 17 and 18. So how is it that you can tell me the key to bringing breakthrough is fasting and praying and you're not fasting or praying? Okay, I'm going to help you out. Because some of us are good at eventful Christianity, but not lifestyle Christianity. And Jesus says, if you want power, you cannot have eventful fasting and praying. You've got to have a lifestyle of fasting and praying. Look at all the claps I got. I started off with 58 men. I'm down to four and a half bobbleheads. Because we don't want a lifestyle of fasting and praying. We want pastor to tell us at the beginning of the year, for 21 days, we're going to have a Daniel fast. And while we're Daniel fasting, we're trying to figure out all the ways that we can cheat, all the stuff that we can get at McDonald's, because we don't want to sacrifice. But you don't want to sacrifice, but you want power? You think you can have power without having sacrifice? We're trying to figure out. I have people coming up giving me uh, a fasting dietary menus and all this crap. What are you sitting up here trying to figure out what you can eat and still be I go out with people talking about they're on a Daniel fast I feel like Maury Povich because your play proves that that's a lie and I've realized that most of us fast for 21 days at the beginning of the year and never fast for the rest of the year and so we feel real good at the beginning of the year but when March comes around we broke down busted and disgusted
Why? Because our fasting was an event, not a lifestyle. Jesus, Jesus said, if you want power, you got to make this thing a lifestyle. Because see, here's the problem with some of us. We're trying to figure out where is it that Jesus is fasting and praying. And you're missing the whole revelation. Because you're looking in Matthew 17. But go check out Matthew 14. When the Bible says after he sends the crowd away, he went up to the mountain by himself and he prayed. You're looking for the fasting and the praying in 17. But go look at Mark 6 to where he says after saying farewell, he left for the mountain and prayed. Go look at Mark chapter 1, Luke chapter 5, Luke chapter 9, and Luke chapter 11. Matthew 17 happens because the other portions of the New Testament happen. Second Chronicles chapter 7 verse 14. We know this and I'm really finishing. Worship team, join me. I heard somebody say amen. Somebody grab me a bottle of water. Second Chronicles chapter 7 verse 14. We quote this scripture and we don't even know the context of this scripture. Quickly, quickly. Come on, guys. We say, you know, if my people who are called by my name, come on, help me quote it. If my people, you know, can you say the scripture like you like the Bible? If my people, we like this scripture and we think the context of this is that the children of Israel must have been in a horrible place. And God said to them, if you call out to me, I'll deliver you from your horrible place. In actuality, they were in good standing with the Lord at this time. Solomon had just built the most expensive building the world had ever seen up to that point and called it the temple. And it's Solomon's temple that was built for the Ark of the Covenant. Solomon says to God, he says, now that we've built you this great place to honor you, when we come and we have need of you, will you remember what we did here? Will you remember what we put in the bank account of heaven? And will you heal our, will you heal our land? And God says, because of what you've stored up, because you honored me when you weren't in sin, you prayed when everything was all right. You fasted when you didn't need a breakthrough. I'll hear you. And I'm concerned. I can't can't hear you guys. Come on, I want to hear you. I'm concerned. Because in the hour that we're living in, the only time most of us pray is when we have a test, a bill, or a relationship problem. And God is saying, when I give you the promotion, can I still count on you to fast? Can I still count on you to seek my face? Because if not, you'll never see revival. The Bible says in 2 Timothy, stand with me. In 2 Timothy chapter 3, in the last times, perilous times shall come. In the last days, for men shall be lovers of themselves. They'll be covetous, boasters, proud, blasphemers, disobedient to parents, unthankful, unholy, without natural affection, truce breakers, false teachers, inconsistent, fierce despisers of those that are good, traitors, heady, high-minded, lovers of pleasures more than lovers of God. He says, in the last days they'll have a form of godliness but deny the power thereof. From such turn away. 
For of this sort are they which creep into houses and lead captive silly women laden with sin, led away with drivers, with divers, diverse lust, ever learning and never able to come to the knowledge of truth. In the last days, it's going to get tough. You think it's bad now? It's getting worse. You think Target's trying to figure out, should we call it a women's bathroom or a men's bathroom? We've not seen anything yet. Because in the last days, this is promised. I'm not surprised by the condition of our nation. I'm not surprised by the condition even of our church. Because God prophesied that this would take place in the last days. In the last days, men would become lovers of themselves, sexually immoral, disobedient to parents and rebellious. It says they would fall far away from the truth. What you see happening on the news is what's supposed to happen in the last days. But I got another word. Because Matt, I jumped over to Acts chapter 2. And even though Paul said in 2 Timothy chapter 3, Janelle, that the last days would be crazy and people would be full of sin, Luke let me know in Acts chapter 2, in the last days, I will pour out my spirit on all flesh. Your sons and your daughters will prophesy. Your young men shall see visions. Your old men shall dream dreams. And on your maidservants and on my maidservants, I will pour out my spirit on those days. Yes, in the last days, sin is going to happen. Oh, but God, I got good news. That while sinners keep sinning, the saints are getting ready to pray. And we're about to see the greatest revival that this generation or this nation because I'm sick about reading about revivals I'm sick of people telling me stories I want what God promised me in Acts chapter 2 I want the spirit of God to fall on me the Bible says in the last days that he would fall on all flesh he's getting ready to fall on Mexican flesh and white flesh, black flesh assemblies of God flesh he's getting ready to fall on Baptist flesh he doesn't care what denomination you're a part of he's getting ready to fall on homosexual flesh he's getting ready to fall on heterosexual sexual flesh in the last days he's getting ready to pour out his spirit here's the question which prophecy will you be a part of what prophecy are you going to be a part of are you going to be second timothy chapter three are you going to be acts chapter two are you going to be a part of the wicked and perverse generation or are you going to be a part of the generation that says, God, if nobody else is praying, you can count on me at my high school. If I've got to spend every lunchtime not eating and fasting so I could see revival in my high school, nobody has to know my name. Nobody has to have my business card. No, I'm not starting an Instagram page. No, I'm not starting a Facebook fan page. When I heal folks, I'm not going to pass out business card. I just want you to use me. I am just want to be in the number, God. I just want you to use me. God, I'm not much, but I want you to use me. I don't have it all together, but I'm surrendered. 
God, I don't pray like so-and-so, and and I can't fast as long as what's his name. But will you take what I got? Because I want to be asked to. You say, Pastor Dell, I want to be a part of that. I want to be a part of this end-time revival. See, some people, they can't even handle a three-hour service. Wait till revival hits. Some of you, when revival really hits, you don't have to quit your job and move into the church. You think I'm joking. I've seen revival. I've seen revival change occupations. Do you, my question, do you really want it? Because revival might mean that it costs you your relationships. It might cost you your church membership. It might cost you your denominational affiliation. But if you're like me, I say God at any cost. I told the Lord, I said every month, I said, God, I don't know if 12 people are going to show up or 12,000, but if the room is empty, you can count on me. If nobody else wants to pray, I don't talk about this often, but I come here on weekdays. I live an hour away and sometimes I come just to lay across the seats and say, God, I'm only one voice, but would you save a generation? I'm just a little black kid from the hood, but if you can use anything. No, I can't pump and prime you tonight, but if you want to be a part of that end times revival, lift your hands and say, God, use me. Lift your hands and I want you to begin to cry out. Begin to cry out. You're watching by Facebook Live right now. I want you to begin to cry out. All across this nation, some of you are watching in other countries. I want you to begin to cry out. Nobody might ever know your name, but I promise you, if you pray, the Spirit of God is going to answer your prayer. Listen, I know it's late, but what if we turn this into a prayer meeting right now? Listen, I got church in the morning too. I'm with you. I got to be there with my suit and tie on. But what if we prayed? What if tonight's the night? What if tonight's the night? What if tonight's the night where we stand between porch and altar and God begins to heal the Bay Area? What if tonight's the night that you pray for your family and they get healed? some of you need to begin to cry out you need to begin to cry out and spare not some of you got to cry out because your church depends on it some of you got to cry out because your family depends on it shataba Come on, I'm telling you, San Francisco depends on it. Our nation depends on it. 